Hello and welcome to Think Fit Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I am the hostess and creator of this podcast where we are dedicated to effective thinking for potent exercise. I started this podcast to enlighten my clients with the power of an intentional and focused approach to exercise. And my practice in Alexandria, Virginia, Impact Your Fitness, is focused on holistic injury care and uh, athletic performance and wellness performance. I have a vision to help people think strategically and be like self-led in their fitness with just strength and confidence. And this podcast is really out here to help you change your conversation and your relationship with your exercise and exercise culture, really. So I'm going off this idea that we've just oversimplified exercise and accepted trends as facts. It's my belief that this simple view of exercise has created a huge missed opportunity um, for most of us and that experiencing progress is a joy which can be embraced in many areas of self-improvement. And that is a beautiful way to a thought really to set up the conversation for today, which is with Kika Mila of Mila Therapeutics in South Florida. She's also the owner of a patented training device called the, the Kiro, and you can check that out at kiroconcepts.com. Uh, there are several links that will point you right to her, and I'm really excited to share this one because this is a conversation she has not had with many people and I think she is brave and I completely admire her for doing so. We are talking about life after being a professional athlete. She walked away from her professional sport Uh, intact and healthy, which is a miracle considering we are talking about riding racehorses. Yes, she was a jockey. And what I really think is special about this is uh, it answers one of my curiosities in uh, this conversation because I've worked with Kika uh, in a very close environment during the NFL Combine training and she's you know I'm in her element I'm in her environment and it is very obvious that she has this bond with her athletes these professional male mostly male athletes and uh, upcoming NFL players and it's not that she knows them very well but she does have this connection with them and that is finding out what that is is part of this conversation. And I um, I feel very lucky to get to learn from her and share her story with you guys. So here are the, some, some of the topics discussed. We bring up the physicality of writing and hint, it's almost impossible for the majority of the population to complete one time around the track. <laughs> we talk, uh, we provide this insider view on the realities of the dangers of riding a horse and the similarities between being a horse jockey and other sports. Then the big, uh, the big topic, which is finding purpose and bliss 
after being a professional athlete, walking away from your sport healthy. And she's not just healthy, like she helps other people be healthy. And that is just such a beautiful thing. I um, am really, again, really excited. I will say there is one part in this conversation where we talk about sexual harassment and uh, things related to Me Too as far as being an, an athlete. And I think it's, you know, supposed to be said, and I think we need to hear um, what what that world means to people and what um, what we can do about getting out from it mentally. Not that, you know, we're going to discuss anything related to the law or whatnot. We're just sharing these experiences and uh, it's not meant to be offensive. It is really just an honest view of what it was like as a professional athlete in the training room um, amid a lot of sexual harassment. So that is in the middle. And I really hope you enjoy uh, this episode where Kika um, Mela discusses life after a professional horse racing jockey career. And you can check her out at Mila Therapeutics on Instagram. Go ahead and follow the Kiro. It is one of the coolest things um, I've got to use as a, you know, exercise professional and working with athletes as well. So you can get them at Cairo Core on Instagram at K-I-R-O-C-O-R-E. And I will, of course, be on Instagram at Jennifer Simone Schwartz or uh, follow the podcast because we do some cool stuff. I just finished going live and it's fun. I want to interact with you guys and I think a live is a really good way to do that on Instagram and Facebook at thinkfitbefit underscore podcast and sign up for the newsletter because we can also interact and dive deep on these concepts and connect deeper with your exercise. Thinkfitbefitpodcast.com is where you will find the link to sign up. Don't miss an episode. We are on all these fabulous platforms, but of course, please, please take some time to share what you're learning and write a review because that's how people find out about us. And I am so in love with podcasting and sharing this information with you guys that I want to do it for a while. Have a wonderful week and please enjoy this episode with my friend and colleague, Kika Mela. Hello and welcome to Think Fit Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I'm the hostess and creator of this podcast where we are dedicated to effective thinking for potent exercise. Think Fit Be Fit is the intersection of exercise mechanics, movement expertise, and embracing curiosity. This is an ongoing conversation about the nuances of training and will help trainers, coaches, and fitness lovers connect deeper to their exercise. We're going to get right into it today, guys, because I um, have a, a return guest who's very special, and we have known each other for a few years throughout our professional lives, and 
Um, you got to know her on a May episode about the most functional core trainer I've really ever put my hands on. Um, so please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Hi, my name is Kika Mela. I am a licensed massage therapist for the last 25 years. Uh, but I have an exercise science degree, been doing that for a while. I am a MAT specialist for the last 12 years. And predominantly, my practice involves dealing with a lot of athletes, elite and professional athletes, and trying to help their bodies function well uh, to help them out on the field. Mm. I've also created, as you said, the uh, functional core trainer, if you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> I like that, the most functional core trainer. That's that's awesome. I, I'm going to have quote that somewhere. But uh, I have developed the Kiro Core Trainer, which is a exercise harness designed to actually target the core 360 degrees around the body. And you can use it from seated, from post-surgery to sprinting, which would be for athletic drills or sprints or any type of uh, turf workout. So you can actually challenge the core dynamically and statically. Mm. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. I, I would also like part of the functional piece is like that you can put it in a bag and go somewhere with it. You're not married to a gym <laughs> by using yeah. it. Yeah. And, and we've had a lot of our, our clients, uh, very creative, taking it outside, using it uh, on the turf, in the weight room, uh, in the rehab setting, anywhere from using it to do squats, to scapular specific exercises, to, of course, with the core. Uh, it's been uh, been really interesting to see how people use it, and it's been fantastic to watch. Mm. Um, well, I I wanted to ask um, how it feels being a, a patent, being awarded a patent. Oh, it's so <laughs> exciting! <laughs> yeah. it's like a bucket list check off. You know, um, definitely. Uh, I always thought I'd invent something, but to actually have it manifest was. Uh, um, Wow, that was a huge moment. I think I cried just a little bit, maybe a tear or two when I got it in the mail and held it in my hand uh, to think that I actually create something unique enough to be labeled a patent. That was that was very fulfilling professionally and personally. Cool. So slide my patented sliding ring uh, exercise harness. Yes, exactly. Yes. Got to got to get that in because um Man, it really is a big, it's a big achievement. Um, so yay, congrats. Did I, did I tell you how I found out that I actually had a patent number? Well, it was really close to when we recorded the first episode. And I think it was also close to your birthday or something. So I, it was in June. Uh -huh. So I knew that we were in the last stage. We had gone our back and forth with the patent uh, office. And, I, and so I'm thinking like this should go through. I don't think they didn't contest anything else. I got a solicitation in the mail from these patent plaque makers that were saying, congratulations on patent number 10,702,000, whatever, on your patent. And if you'd like to frame it, call us. So I looked, I'm like, this, I didn't get a, nothing from my lawyer yet, right? I didn't hear anything from my lawyer or from the patent attorney. So I looked up the patent number and sure enough, there it was. Oh my God. Oh, that's so cool. the, the solicitors beat everybody. And I wish I'd have kept it because 
what they give you is very anticlimactic. It's mm-hmm. uh it's a like a a book, like a little workbook type looking thing. It's not nothing you can hang on your wall. Yeah, well, um, it's funny. Yeah, I feel the same way about some of those things hanging on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but this I would have hung. This is something I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah, For a little while, then I get tired of it. I've seen um, patents be hung up in people's offices. So yeah, yeah. it's not the real. No, no, that's the <laughs> solicitor's job. They they sold them that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'll look real, it'll kind of look weak next to all those jerseys you have in your office anyways. Oh, yeah. Well, we, got, <laughs> we were blessed with those. Those, those were gifts. So those yeah. were, that's the best kind is when you just walk in and you see it. Oh, wow. Thank you. Where, where'd this come from? Nice. Those are the best gifts right there. You, yeah, that's best. Cool. Um, so uh, we're, you know, we're having kind of, we're having an unscripted conversation no real agenda here except to explore what your experience was and is as professional athlete to helping, you know, and to having like a physical job and maintaining fitness. And really I'm here to, I'm here to learn and, and absorb and, um, take myself out of the the sports that I know because they certainly aren't horse racing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I come from a soccer background. Um, I've gotten to know football over the past uh, handful of years and a little bit about baseball and, you know, various, you know, clients teach me a lot about sports. So um, it's always good for me as a practitioner and, as someone who just loves the conversations about strength and conditioning and building our bodies uh, and post injury care. Um, and, you know, I, I just love talking about those things. So yeah. Um, what, um, and it's not something you talk about often. Like, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm honored. You know, oh, well, I, it's near and dear to me because it was like a great uh, decade of my life that was dedicated to uh, the horse racing industry. Mm. And uh, despite what a lot of people say, it was it was a wonderful experience. There's always bad apples in every industry. And and I thankfully I worked for people that respected the horses and did a great job with the horses. But with everything, there's always, you know, negative or, or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, it was just a one of the, one of the best times of my life. Uh, when I was young, I started that, um, I, I've been around horses all my life, uh, from like eight years old or seven or eight years old. And when I got a car at age 16, I had to get a job. So mm-hmm. uh, a friend of ours suggested the farm in Jupiter. I was in Jupiter, Florida, and they had a, a farm for horses that would rehab. It was a rehabilitation farm for racehorses. And so they said they needed some help. And I I really had no plans of continuing horses as a profession. I wanted to be a doctor. But uh, when they said, like, well, it's race horses, so maybe you could be a jockey, that was something as a kid, I would race down the street on my pony thinking I was in the races. So I was like, well, why not? You know, what the heck? So to support my car, and uh, I got a job at at a horse farm. 
uh, which would handle horses that were coming off the track that had injuries or needed a rest, a break from racing. And so that's how it all, that's how it all started uh, back there in Jupiter. That is so cool. It's like, um, you're, you're staying in like a, like a, a true, you know, you're, you're, you're true North almost like you recognized early on that something, there was something wonderful about that transition perhaps of, um, you know, athletic bouncing back, learning, growing. That's really cool. (laughs) <laughs> it changed that when I look back, when I got into exercise as a more of a profession, uh, I started to realize a lot of things about horse racing that, wow, that was, it was an exceptionally physical, challenging job and very, very, very dangerous, very, very dangerous. Um, so as I look back, it, it's definitely what I, what I learned in the physicality that I had to endure as a rider. Uh, helped to cr- my creative juices of uh, the Kiro Core Trainer definitely had a strong influence in things that I've done since. Uh, learning about different sports, I take lessons and everything I can to understand my clients better. So that's kind of helped me understand, you know, why I got into MMA and and hockey and playing all those sports and taking quarterback lessons, all that kind of stuff. It just kind of helped me. Uh, but having my experience, I knew I had to feel things. So I would have people, I would do trades and stuff to kind of learn more about the different sports. Um, but horse racing. So th- I don't know how deep you want to go into it, but I started out, you know, there's different levels mm-hmm. in dealing with horses. And I tried to make sure that I rode them because that's the best job in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I came on the racetrack down here in Miami as an exercise rider, which is basically you take the horses out and do what the trainer tells you to do. Mm-hmm. And I had been with horses for a decade about up until then. I maybe fell off three times in those 10 years because uh, the saddle went underneath my pony twice. So that's two. And then maybe I just assumed a third. So I never really fell off. I thought I was a good rider. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started working with the racehorses on the farm and I fell off three times in one week. And it was crushing and uh, very humbling, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, and the physicality of it just uh, at the farm, it was a little different. But once I got on the actual racetrack, there's people that have ridden horses their entire lives and they get on one racehorse, the, the style of riding that it is. And if they survive one round around the racetrack, it's a miracle. And if when they get off, if their legs don't crumble underneath them, that's a miracle mm. because it is one of the most physically challenging things I've ever done in my entire life. That's, that's cool. Um, what about, um, what, about the male and female distribution in that sport. Does it so, exist? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. When I started, uh, right out of high school, I, I was 18 and I started, uh, at the racetrack. So that was 1988. Mm-hmm. My age here. Mm-hmm. Uh, women has had actually been a part of course racing. And there was exercise riders there. There was not a lot of female jockeys. There were up and coming, but it was, uh, there was still definitely a male bias there. 
Uh, I had trainers tell me flat out to my face that they wouldn't ride a a female. They wouldn't use a girl. Hmm. And uh, they had back when the first female rider started, there was boycotts. The the jockeys refused to ride. They, they, uh, they boycotted the races and the women would have people yelling at them and people not wanting to go to the track. I mean, it was, they underwent so much abuse to actually just ride a race. And I think about it now, I'm like, how ridiculous is that? That they, there's, there's a, I think it's called jockey. There's a little documentary about it. And they're interviewing the public and the jockeys back when the first female riders came out mm-hmm. and women should be home. You know, they should be taking care of us. They shouldn't be out here. Oh yes. This was, and this was the norm. This was the common thought process of what women's roles were. And being a rider is a very physically challenging. It's one of the few professions where men and women compete equally where there's no differentiation from female races versus male races there it's equal. Mm. And, uh, and I've known some, there's so many female jockeys out there that have just paved the way for, for when I arose uh, to where it was easier to get rides. Being an exercise rider was easier than being a jockey, mm-hmm. um, which eventually led me to going to Canada because when I decided after I learned that the, as an exercise rider, you get practiced of potentially becoming a jockey. And when I was ready to get my, my license, my jockey license, and I had about 30 races under my belt from like, uh, people like Frank Posada, um, uh, people that wanted to help everybody and they were willing to use females. They, um, there wasn't a lot though down here in Florida. And one of the best advice I was given is once you get good at something, leave, because the people down here just remembered me falling off every five feet (laughs) or getting horses run off, having horses run off with me. So I had heard Canada was very female friendly. So I moved my tack to Fort Erie, which is across the border from Buffalo and eventually Mm -hmm. made it to Toronto where I rode and I won a lot of races. I was actually, uh, um, nominated for one of the top awards in North America for, uh, basically like rookie of the year award. Mm-hmm. I was kind of uh, nominated for that. Um, unfortunately, my, uh, my competition was the biggest phenom that's hit the racing industry in the last 20 years. So I was just a placeholder. <laughs> there oh, was no way I could have won this. I, there's no way I should have won that um, award. So I was just there filling space basically, but um, yeah. But it was alongside someone like that, probably also really, I mean, being alongside greatness on a regular basis, let alone competing, like yeah. that's pretty phenomenal, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. And up in Toronto, I was around the best in the, and some of the best riders in all of Canada. I was in, in, at Woodbine, I was with, that was the best of the best in all of Canada and, and some in North America. I mean, obviously in the States, New York. California and Kentucky were the best of the best in the United States, but, um, they welcomed me. They, they, they didn't care if I was female or not. Mm -hmm. There was uh, a lot more openness up in Canada. Um, and then the people down here, they felt like, you know, women couldn't compete physically with the male riders because it is a extremely physical sport. Um, I'll give, let me just give you an example of what it might feel like to ride 
let's say you're riding a horse that wants to pull. Mm-hmm. Okay. They all want to run and your job is to keep them from running away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have to put the brakes on them a little bit and the brakes are your hands and your feet. You don't have, they don't have brakes basically. <laughs> so imagine, um, have you ever water skied? No, but I've ridden a horse. Okay. But, so yeah. totally different. Nope. Yeah. Totally different. So, okay. How about this? Imagine being on a, a ledge, mm-hmm. just your toes on the ledge mm-hmm. and wrap a rope around a tree, a big oak tree. Okay. Okay. Squat, yeah. Squat down yeah. really like where you're perched on this ledge mm-hmm. and try to pull the tree over mm-hmm. and then hold that position. So as an exercise rider, I might have to hold that position three to five minutes without letting go, without relaxing. Mm-hmm. As a rider during a race, it's easier because you're letting them run. So, but you still have to squat and hold your body weight up with just your toes in the stirrups. Mm-hmm. And then you might, then you get to turn them loose coming towards to go for home. And then it's the uh, extremely cardiovascular where you're pushing and pushing mm-hmm. you're you're squatted down, you're pushing, you might be whipping or whatever it is you're doing. Um, and then having that horse want to either run away with you at all times or possibly run through a fence or whatever reason. So you're in that position. And if you can't hold them into a straight line, during a race, you could clip the heels of the person next to you or in front of you. Mm-hmm. And that's when you go down and, you know, like a flat tire, when people walk behind you and they get your foot, your, your shoe, mm-hmm. that's called clipping heels. Mm-hmm. And your horse clips the heels of the one in front. 90% of the time you're going fall down with the horse and then get run over top of by everybody else behind you. Whoa. So, if you can't hold your horse, if you don't have the physical strength to hold the horse where it needs to be, or if whatever reason the horse coming up on their outs on your outside scares them, they might want to make a left turn into the fence. So you got to hold them and keep them running at the same time. And if you relax, you could be through a fence and dead hmm. or severely injured. So because of the physicality that's required, um, Initially, like, oh, women can't do that. Women, you know, oh, forget it. You know, you guys aren't strong enough or coming down the lane when you're really trying to encourage that horse to run. It's very physical to push them. Um, And uh, they they didn't think that we had it in us. But thankfully, we proved them wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I was built like a like a little like a little bulldog. I had muscles upon muscles. I could hold myself in a, like for fun, I might do a pull up and hold and I could be there all day long, not with barely even breaking a sweat. Mm. It was, um, the physical challenges, uh, was just nothing I've ever, I've come close to, to something since then, but, um, you, you had eight packs over eight packs and, and if, uh, it was just unbelievable, the physicality of it. So what comes close? So. On the the craziness of a horse, if you've ever been on a jet ski on extremely rough waters and you Mm -hmm. kind of like you weren't sitting on the jet ski, you were letting it move underneath you Mm -hmm. and then like diving and that's getting on a a 
most racehorses have a little craziness to them. So that's like a horse that wants to buck with you or rear. So that's the, the action is like that, like early bad rough seas. And believe it or not, jujitsu um, has come the closest to the physicality. So if you're rolling with somebody and you have your grips on because uh, horse racing is all a lot about the grips and your balance. Um, and with jujitsu, if you get into, and you get into somebody with you hold them, you grab the lapels or something, or you grab their sleeves and you're trying to hold on. If you can't hold the position and you relax a second, that means that you might've just given them an inch that they could flip you, uh, flip everything around on you, either sweep you escape or something. So you have to be able to maintain that hold. Um, obviously, if I was a better jujitsu person, I would probably have to rely on that less. Just like as I got better with riding racehorses, I didn't, it takes two to pull. Mm. So if I learned how to calm the horse, I didn't have to fight as much on the pull. So I could um, just set their head against the resistance, but not have to fight the whole way. What's... um. What's a, a average career length for jockey? There's they're out there 60 years old now. My girlfriend Laura, she went back to Laura Cornmeyer. She was retired. She had kids. We came out at the same time. Like uh we started around the same time, like 89 or 90. She started racing, had kids, kids grew up, decided she wanted to go back at it. I think she rode her oh, she's older than me. I'm 50, so she's older than me. And she went back uh, into riding. Until she broke her back recently, unfortunately. So wow. It's, uh, if you don't get beat up too bad, they can, and, and you have a, and you have the mounts. If mm-hmm. you, if nobody will put you on a horse and it doesn't matter how fit you are. Um, if you can't, if you can't hustle up the mounts, then it doesn't matter. But fifties or sixties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not. Wow. And then Those are the strongest old people you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Um, and then what, so when, when you're in that like physical shape, like how much of the year do you have to maintain that? Uh, it depends on what you do. So for most riders, they ride year round. So you, and if they have a problem with their weight, bulimia is rampant, uh, starvation, anorexia rampant abuse of, uh, diuretics and, uh, colon cleanser. I don't know how to say it nicely. Um, rampant through there. And the problem is, is most riders aren't truly anorexic or bulimic where they have this self image problem. It's to make weight every single day. Mm-hmm. So they might go in the sweat box. Um, they might blow the weight all the time, but, um, they have to make that way. So they have to be physically fit year round and do that year round. Cause people forget about you real quick. If you're hot, you got to keep riding. Mm. And a lot of the race racing industry is seasonal. So you have a circuit you might do. Florida is one of the few year round places in the country, California and Florida, New York as well, but it's miserable in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so very few take off. I would take, I took off in the winter one year because I just wanted to, and then you get fat. <laughs> and for us, uh, my body weight was like one Oh six. And for me, fat was 110. Like that was fat. Yeah. And yeah. everybody would tell you too, how fat you were. 
if I, if I was uh, riding that day and I went into the kitchen because I needed a drink of water or a piece of toast, uh, they would let me know that you're going to spread out back there. If you eat that toast and my, your, your weight is everybody's business. If you're overweight, they announce it on the loudspeaker wow. for the entire public to listen to because it can affect Betty. Yeah. So, and if you're five pounds overweight, you are pulled off that horse and you are not allowed to ride that horse anymore. It, if anything has changed since then, I apologize if there's any rule changes that I'm not aware of, but, um, but they announce it and you know, you're overweight. And then the next day you go around to talk to your clients about riding their horse and, Oh, you didn't make the weight the other day. So I don't know if I can ride you. And all of a sudden your uh, livelihood is affected. Um, mm. I don't think you can make the weight. Hmm. Um, yeah, that, uh, there, so I, I'm, I'm curious as to, first of all, I just learned how much MMA and, and a jockey would have in common. Like that's pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And then how does one maintain that strength without, with the weight um, looming over them constantly and that it is everyone's business. Like where does it come from? You know, is it so much like in here, I would imagine too, like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Determination, just pure, like, uh, mental toughness. Um, jockeys are just like fighters, like, uh, MMA fighters, they have to lose weight, you know, within eight weeks, once they get a fight or however long, much time they have. Um, and they have to maintain a certain level of uh, strength and endurance so they don't have to build it all when they have mm-hmm. a fight. Um, with riders, it's it's daily and uh, it's it's not easy. You, most riders back in the day, they were less apt to be in a gym. Nowadays, they're more apt to have a nutritionist to mm-hmm. help them with their diet. They're more apt to have like do rehab type exercises. Before you would jog around the racetrack with your, with your trash bags on and blow some weight if you didn't to, to not only blow weight, but to get fit before, and then just riding the horses would get you fit Mm -hmm. Um, without nobody ever stepped in a gym. Now, now it's, it's definitely, they definitely progressed and they're starting to treat themselves like athletes more. Mm -hmm. Um, And which is what uh, would frustrate me sometimes with the MMA world. And unless you got to a certain level, they didn't treat them like athletes. They didn't have trainers there. You had the guy that would come rub on you, you know, or um, you didn't have a chiropractor on site like we do at Bomarito. Uh, you didn't have a lot of this. You would get the the horse chiropractor or the horse vet that would crack uh, the horse's back would come crack people in the stall somewhere or in a in a in a, a feed room. They'd come and here, doc, crack my back. Um, and their the rehab was was limited. Uh, gotten a lot better now, but it, it wasn't easy. Just a lot of lot of weight reduction and getting on horses to get fit. Wow. <laughs> um, I um, I'm laughing at the fact that the the horses get more uh, resources than 
Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Even back then, like you'd have this guy selling a bone stimulator and this one coming with new supplements and this person coming by with the, 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 the magnetic blanket to put on the horses and the fancy shoes, like the different types of shoes to put on the horses. And mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Did Chiropractic, you- acupuncturist for the horses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't, um, shady back even back then. And so I can't imagine where that is now. Um, (laughs) did you learn anything about self-care from your horses? Don't hit the ground. (laughs) Make sure yeah, hang on for dear life. Uh, (laughs) learn how to ride better. Uh Uh, cause, uh, Man, hitting the ground sucked, and you get beat up a little bit for that. I, I was fortunate. At, at the racetrack, it's not if you get hurt, it's mm-hmm. when and how severe. Mm-hmm. Um, I know too many people paralyzed and too many people I've, people that have died, um, people that have had pelvises crushed, ribs crushed, um, multiple, almost every bone broken at some point in their life. It's uh, it's not for the weak of heart, that's for sure. Mm. Because every time you compete, you're, you know, giving, giving into the, you're, you've, you've committed. And it's a potential for severe injury every time, mm-hmm. even as an exercise rider, every single time you get on a horse or get around a horse, that's a potential um, for traumatic injury. Um, you are not allowed on the racetrack to either exercise a horse or for the races if the ambulance is not on site. And the ambulance sits right outside the, or during a race, the ambulance actually follows the race around. Mm-hmm. They're behind the horses, following them that mile and a half or however long the race is because they want to be there immediately. And that's just how severe uh, the potential for injury is. Wow. Um, and then what, um, so what did, what did you accumulate over this career? Um, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx myself because sometimes I still get on horses. Uh, but let me just tell you, I was so extremely fortunate Uh that I was able to walk away, um, and function well and had just the most glorious experience at the track instead of, um, a lot of my friends, uh, you know, everyone had a back fracture or something broken, a collarbone or, um, you know, organ damage if the horse stepped on them or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was, I was very, very fortunate. I, but you know, you could have your, you know, a typical day, you could even just have a horse snatch you to try to take the reins out of your hands and you get whiplash because of the force is so violent mm-hmm. or stumble. And all of a sudden you just snap your, your neck just snaps like that. Um, and it could have been nothing. Um, uh, but they're, they're very flighty, so they could be very mild mannered. And the next thing you know, they've they've jumped six feet to the left, and you're literally like a cartoon character hovering in the air until you hit the ground. Um, yeah, I um, I'm curious how when when the um, this motion, what's that called? Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's pushing. That, that's okay. trying to make them go faster. That's okay. not holding them anymore. So yes. you kind of, you get set, you get lower. So you're more aerodynamic, mm-hmm. you get closer to their body. And also this is 
Because if you were this low the entire race, you'd wear yourself out. So you get a lot lower in the stirrup. You, you're perched in the stirrups. You scrunch down aerodynamically and you, your hands are on their neck. And every time that they would extend their neck, you would help them. It's like pushing them and helping oh, them. Oh, okay. Every and time they, they yeah. extend Okay. And then, so like, that's really, that's going to be in super intense cardio. Oh, because especially because your, your hand, your arms are close to your heart. So that blood is just. Oh, pumping. Oh, and also because you're in an isometric position with Mm -hmm. your legs moving under you like pistons, some people move all as a whole, their back and their legs, but most people, the horse runs underneath them. Mm. So that's like a thousand squats for a quarter mile or so of squat and cardio. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a ton. I mean, how could you even measure that amount of force going through there? That's in, that's a lot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and don't forget that if you're, if you don't whip the horse or at least look like you're whipping the horse, you will get in trouble. Because it looks like you're not, unless you're in front, but if you are not looking like you're trying to get the most out of it, so you're not only pushing here, you're also whipping left or right or whatever to encourage the horse to go. Um, And you could get fined if you don't, uh, if you don't look like you're encouraging the horse enough. Mm. Okay. So I might like flash the whip or, you know, splay it or. If they're running their hearts out, I'm not going to beat them up for not, you know, I'm not going to beat them up, but mm-hmm. are lazy. Yeah. But, uh, I'm not going to beat them up for it. Yeah. Well, there's um, the human element means there's also uh, manipulation involved. Is that why that rule exists? Yes, because people cash out large bets. <laughs> so, so the, the trick is, is that you, you hold the horse. For a couple of races where mm-hmm. you don't let the horse run its full capacity. Like if you're going to try to swindle the better or, you know, try to cash a big bet, mm-hmm. um, you make sure the horse doesn't run to its full capacity. And then you put him in a race where, and then he just wins by however many. And because he wasn't a favorite, you, you place your bets on it and the, and the odds are better. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how often that happened because nobody ever approached me. Cause mm-hmm. I, but I, I always wondered if I, I wasn't somehow in other people's plans, like let the, let the bug girl, that's what you call an apprentice, a bug rider, let the bug rider go in front. And then they might've been doing stuff behind me that I had no idea. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was Office politics. <laughs> oh yeah. Politics, uh, defrauding the public. That's why the FBI gets involved. So if you do anything bad on the racetrack or if you are, are suspected of fixing a race or not riding to the fullest or using things that are illegal, the Mm -hmm. FBI can get involved because it becomes federal because of paramutual wagering and stuff. Wow. They're highly restricted there. People don't realize how restricted it is there. Um, no, I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have gone there mentally. Um, what I want to focus on now is these transitions into like, you know, being a, you know, just a, a person. <laughs> but I also want to note that this answers a big question, um, which is why 
you're talented at what you do now. I mean, (laughs) the the identity that you can help, um, that you can share and the space that you can hold with a pro athlete that says, I want to be healthy at the end of my playing career. That's a bond that, you know, you can't even advertise or even really talk about it's it's just there and common common suffering yeah common suffering uh that relatable piece there where um yeah i've been there i've i've ended my career uh that 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 going back to what your first thought was um when i i didn't make a long career Mm -hmm. out of this i wanted to be a doctor so i your first year you are an apprentice Mm -hmm. versus journeyman and that's when most people make uh, their money and it, it's much more complicated than you probably want to get into. But anyway, so I decided I just wanted to write a year or so, retire, get back into school and have that fund my college career, which it did. But when you retire, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I had this really cool job and I was important and now I'm nobody. I mm-hmm. have nobody care. You know, I'm nothing. And, um, and I see that in some of my, my athletes that, uh, have had a careers, whether it's big careers or small careers, it doesn't matter. It's how much you identified with your career and who you were mm-hmm. and that defined you. You're going to have a much harder time transitioning out of that life than you would, um, if you know, you just change jobs or something. So. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, because I didn't do this for, uh, I didn't, wasn't a race, a horse rider. I wasn't a jockey for a decade. I was only a jockey officially for a couple of years and, um, in the industry for 10 as a rider, but, um, I had something else to focus on. I had school. I put myself in school right away. I had something else to, to, to aim for. I had a purpose and that helped me tremendously get over myself, Mm. uh, because, it took me about a week or two, you know, because I'm like, ah, okay, I'm no longer a writer. It's no, I, you know, I'm an ex writer, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But it's, um, it's hard when people don't have a purpose or that's the only thing they know themselves to be is mm-hmm. that. Um, the camaraderie. Uh, when I quit the racetrack, I, I quit racing, but then I stayed on the racetrack of several more years. So I was still a part of the industry. And it's such a unique little rabbit hole to go into. And it's, um, I I can't even begin to describe it, how unique it is, but it was a lot of laughing and a lot of very joking and, and people are just having fun or seriousness, but it was this whole big, uh, camaraderie that you had going on every single day. And the horses were the bonding you have these horses. And then I quit all that. When I quit, I was became, I had started going to massage school, Mm -hmm. I'm a massage therapist. So that overlapped for about four years. And then I was just too damn tired. So I'm like, okay, I got to pick one or the other. So I've done this. So now I'm going to focus on massage. Mm -hmm. And I went to a very solitary, solitary life where before I would maybe talk to a hundred people or a, a day and be extremely physical you know, riding five to seven horses every single day, six days a week. 
I didn't have to go to a gym. Are you kidding? I rocked it. I had abs of steel and biceps like pythons. I didn't need to work out at all. And um, all of a sudden from that to just working on like, you know, five or six people a day in a very quiet, like I'd go to their home at the oh, time. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The candles and the music and the, yeah. <laughs> and where I can't be very loud and obnoxious, which I was every single day at the racetrack, I, I had to be calm and I had to be quiet mm-hmm. and peaceful. And uh, I got depressed. I had no idea that uh, I didn't even know I was depressed. And I, it took a while for me to come to that conclusion that I was missing something in life. And I had all this time. My so my friends would go to work at 5 a.m., mm-hmm. be done around 9 or 10. Mm-hmm. Everybody takes naps till the afternoon. So now I was sleeping until 9 or 10 or whenever the alarm. I didn't even have an alarm for about a year. I, I didn't need it anymore. Uh, that 4.30 in the morning was for the birds. Mm-hmm. And so all my friends that I would hang out with, because everybody at the racetrack had all day. We I learned to play hockey. I was I was. I was playing hockey all the time and that also helped the physicality. But when that stopped, because once you aren't in the group anymore, you lose touch. Mm. And so they would come home and sleep. And when they woke up for their afternoon to go do fun things, I was starting work as a massage therapist. So all of a sudden it was like my, my, my friends outside of work, my work itself um, became very solitary and very quiet. Mm that didn't, that took a while to recognize and do something about it. Yeah. That's interesting to think about how much of that, that stimulus change and like being, you know, the environment change and how much that impacts um, our outlook on the daily, you know, and it happens to, I, I can think that this would happen to people in the military. I think oh, yeah. this could happen to, um, I see it all the time in the, the college athletes. Um, yeah. it, my practice in neuromuscular therapy, that's one of my main target. Um, the people that we work with the best are previous college athletes trying to get it together after. Yeah those yeah. few years. Um, yeah. so My, what uh, do you do? Yeah. I would say a friend of mine, Scott Brewer actually started a podcast. If I don't mind a little plug mm-hmm. here called the veteran, uh, veterans entrepreneurial podcast, mm-hmm. try to help veterans to talk about it's not over. They, they, uh, how to transition better. They're all talking about how to transition into jobs or how to become an entrepreneur or something to kind of ease that transition from their experience from military to civilian life. And that's kind of what it is in regards to being an athlete. Like my, my football players, their whole world was dictated to them. Um, you know, they, their off season was filled with training schedules and body work schedules. Everything is dictated to them, or they've had to create this, um, this schedule of workout, train, work out, train, have a little fun, work out, train, go to go football starts, you know, 6am, 7am, 8 whatever time. And then all of a sudden say that they're a free agent and they're at home now for the first time ever. 
mm-hmm. with nothing to do and all their friends are gone. Hmm. People that they would, you know, after working out, they'd go get lunch together or something, or they go hang out or something, watch, play video games together or whatever it is they do. That's, that's all of a sudden gone because everybody's working. And so that's what I kind of suffered as well, even though it took me a while to realize it. But now I can relate when I talk to these guys and um, maybe help them like, we'll find a hobby. Like I went back to school. So Mm -hmm. after I got married, um, I met Roberto and got married after I had quit the racetrack completely. So, um, and I promised myself I'd get a bachelor's degree and I had started school a couple of times. Mm-hmm. got segued from mm-hmm. being a jockey. Mm-hmm. Then I got segued by being a, um, a massage therapist. So I went back to school and then all of a sudden I was slammed. I had no time to do anything. And that's when also when I met Pete Bomarito. And then I just went from being studying all the time to then working in that industry. And that kind of like filled that gap and that void. And so now I have a very similar environment to what I was lacking Mm. and it's been a godsend. And let me tell you, um, I told this to Pete one time, I'm just going to plug in my thing here. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the racetrack as a female, I was, uh, this is just something in general. I was sexually harassed every single day, about a thousand times a day, every single day. And you just roll with it. Mm-hmm. And kind of you learn how to give it back just as good as you got or worse. And uh, you dealt with being, you know, people looking at you, propositioning you. Um, if you had to stand up to check your stirrups because you're squatting. So when you stand up, you're bent over at the waist. So your ass is out there for everybody to see and people commenting on it and whatever it is. So you got that a thousand times a day. And I started working in this industry with all these athletes. And I was expecting, you know, uh, uh, gender roles or, you know, having to worry about these athletes. And, and I was still young enough to where I wasn't out of their demographic to date. I was, was it 35 or 36 or something? So I was still, you know, within the realm. Let me tell you. I have, I have not had any problems. I maybe because I'm over at Pete's place or something, but nothing about being a female over there has been a problem. I grew up in um, the restaurant and bar industry. So it was, you know, yeah, I didn't have, um, there wasn't much you could say um, that, you know, would have gotten me, gotten me uh, upset. But then once you realize that was happening to you and that um it's just a a, a, an emotional layering and you have to kind of just peel these layers back of wow I was in that environment and now Mm -hmm. I have to retrain my body and my brain to to be in a safe environment yes and that and not tolerate it. Yeah. yeah. It took when I when I talk to my friends now, I've been out of the industry. Geez, I, I retired, I think, in 99 or some some my golly. And I talk to people from there. And some of the things and the jokes that they make, I'm just like, 
I used to deal with that every day. Yeah. And I can't believe that they're still talking like that. Like I, <laughs> I, I laughed at the joke cause I thought I had to, you know, and I yeah. thought that that's what I had to put up with. And if I didn't, I was a sensitive female, Mm-mm. you know, that couldn't take a joke or, you know, Oh, you know, what, what's the problem? I'm just joking, you know, and we had to, you know, if you wanted to get along, I, you had to learn how to roll with it mm-hmm. so that otherwise I would have spent all day def- offended and in the, and then the tack room crying my eyes out, you know, and I, I wanted to ride horses, damn it. So I'll put up with all your crap to a limit. Just don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. Put your yeah. That's the, um, that's the perfect use of the, uh, metaphorical race blinders, right? Or yeah. is that what they yeah. call them? Blinders. The blinders. Yep. Blinders. Yep. Um, and yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, let's turn back on. Sorry about that. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think it's good. I think it's good. I, um, because we're talking about a big transition and yeah. there's, um, a wonderful thing happening right now where I am working with female athletes that are pros and they have role models. Like how amazing is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, think about, I mean, in soccer we do and um, there's just a few, but there's going to be more and there's going to be, you know, potentially female jockeys listening to this. Right. Yeah. And and uh, I'm not even yeah. like a best. There's so much, so many women out there that have done so much better than I am that are definitely um, role models for a lot of these young girls. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the, but the, it's the, it's also, that's the trans, like that transition piece, like having the um, awareness, um, finding a structure, is a, um, finding that structure finding the the next thing the next goal like you you lived it but I I, like it's and your coat and it sounds like you coach it a little bit into your current client stop hair um and you know so like um let's put a pin in that what um what else is there's like the, there's obvious, there's a physical piece we haven't talked about, which is what we're, you know, what I'm actually is my scope of practice. You know, it's, it's, um, helping, um, prevent further arthritic damage in a 25 year old, you know, wow. it's helping, um, people main like understand the difference between competition and workout. Right. You oh know? Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Oh yeah. So everything I did at the racetrack, like you, I wouldn't, rec- <laughs> we're, we're recommend. but, uh, one thing that, that, that really stuck with me. And as I learned about exercise and I learned about the body and I thought about what I used to do and what was the good things that came out of the physicality that I did, it was those, we, I did maximum isometric contractions, full body every day, multiple times a day for duration. Mm-hmm. And though I wouldn't recommend that to everybody, just whatever, it made me so strong that it's, it's survived. It, it had given me a foundation of a body that was strong. And so as I get older, my strength has maintained with less effort. Like I, you know, I don't do the same thing I did before, 
but it laid such a foundation and changed my body, I think, in a way that it has helped me throughout the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, that's invaluable for me that I was given that physical foundation without the major F ups that would the major damaging things that when I, that also started to make me think like, when we think about some of the things that we do, we do isometrics a lot and, and isometrics generate a lot of strength. And um, it doesn't mean you can't move dynamically within that, but it's one aspect that I gained a lot of respect for when I look back on it, mm-hmm. like, wow, keeping that physical fit. And, and, and now I, there's things that I'm like the other day I did um, on my balcony uh, where we have uh, the, uh, our exercise bikes and stuff set up. I did, I mimicked riding a racehorse physically mm-hmm. with a band and I held it and I was shaking when I finished, you know? So just kind of like a change up in uh, adding that and, and learning from that uh, has helped a lot. Mm. Taking a good part of that and applying it to the body uh, to try to stay fit in, in, in the future. Yeah. Well, I've referenced this like a one or two times on this podcast, but there's a um, small study that I found that they did on women and they did 30 second isometric contractions in the quads and then pulled their blood for um, checking the anabolic um, reactions chemically. Uh And um, these isometrics that were 30 minutes, 30 seconds, 30 seconds for the quads elicited similar metabolic um, uh, byproducts as sprinting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I believe it. Yeah. So I use that as a selling point for people. Often um, I get asked often about my body. I get asked often about what I do to train and it really is. It has come back down to a foundation of isometrics. Um, Interesting. For years, you know, I didn't. I didn't practice it as a soccer player. Um, right. I my strength training regimen as a soccer player was um, a rep range of like ten to twelve, and just you know sit, doing the machines. And um, I had a lot of respect for machines, and. I, I, you know, I was, I, I was kind of raised through my programming that way for, um, you know, since I was 16 until I was, you know, through college and, uh, through playing after that. And, you know, we didn't have like ladders and like running through like cones and any of that stuff. Um, I just did strength training and played soccer. And, but then after that, I learned about isometrics through, you know, all of our colleagues and being an exercise um, professional and I, I, that has helped me the most as to maintaining, um, posture, strength, um, all of the things, you know, and it enables me to, uh, visit, you know, have a workout once a week where I go to failure. Um, that's, that's one of my things. I, I really like working out once a week <laughs> with a back squat to almost failure. And I don't pick up a barbell besides that during the week. And yeah, but so I've used that study several times to like tell that story. Okay. That's interesting though. I like that because I, I've lived that and I'm like, yeah, I felt like I, like when I was in my prime, 
uh, as a rider, when I was getting on so many horses a day, um, I could have taken on any exercise, like whatever, whatever you want me to do, maybe not a marathon, but I could run, I could do this. Like I was so, um, it transitioned over to multiple hockey. I mean, we played hockey in 12 o'clock sun down here in Florida for hours, Mm -hmm. for hours and wouldn't get tired. Um, and that was all because of the riding, you know, I was already fit and that just added more fitness to me, I guess. you Were you on skates or was this like a field hockey? Rollerblades. Yeah. So that's a really good, actually, that's a good transition, I think. Cause yeah, it was very similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you know, like my recent, the sport that I've chosen to like kind of embrace in my thirties has been golf and oh, wow. my hips from soccer have stayed, you know, been able to help me in that sport. Right. Nice. It's, it's, you know, people, I, you know, the, the, the conversation on athleticism and golf is totally changing and it changes all the time. And you and I know this is definitely going to be changing. (laughs) Um, and, um, but yeah, I mean, a transition to uh, soccer, soccer players, um, can usually learn a golf swing pretty quickly, whereas baseball players might have a little bit more trouble. Um, because of the, I mean, I think the hand-eye coordination is just completely different, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a hip dominant sport. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, yeah. Then, and with the kick, uh, with the kick, you're slamming into that internal rotation on the left leg, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a right, right-sided kicker, the same as <laughs> roll, like slamming into the, the left hip with a golf swing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really similar. Really yeah. Similar. Yeah. So, um, I just, in my head, I just had, I had the image of this golf instructor I had a couple months ago who had these crazy, crazy legs and hips. And I couldn't, like, they just rotated and they were, um, they had that bow legged. Yeah. He was completely, um, I don't know. What do you, what do you say? It's not, um, when the knees go out, valgus. Yeah. Varus completely varus his rotation was insane and (laughs) wow he could like whip himself around uh it was wild anyways (laughs) i i would stare at him during um our sessions and be like what's going on there and he probably thought i he i don't know what he thought but um anywho um what other what other elements of athleticism have you like do you connect to this time and like what you use now? Um, like I said, when I got into MMA, I got into, I shouldn't say complete MMA. I got into, when I turned 40, I started training in jujitsu and boxing um, very regularly. And that uh, there's such similarities in the physicalness and the, the fitness levels to be able to do either one of those sports, either horse racing or um, MMA style. I'll just keep it jujitsu and boxing. Cause I didn't mm. do, I didn't combine them. I didn't want to get hit in the head. I had enough head hits with the horses. I didn't need to add to it. Um, but uh, the physicality was just, it's really similar. The, the need, uh, cause when you do jujitsu, you roll with somebody for about five minutes. 
So that's like when you practice, you spar with jujitsu, it's a five minute time frame, And you have to learn how to pace yourself because otherwise you burn out in the first 30 seconds to a minute. And then you're just a rag doll for them to do whatever they want to with you because you literally cannot do anything. No matter how much you try, you're, you're exhausted. Uh, which was similar to where if you weren't fit for a horse that was extremely hard, tough, wanted to run away with you the entire time, and you had to hold it at a certain speed for five minutes, mm-hmm. um, you might not be able to make it. Uh, and, I, and I swear, you know, the, the, the terminology, uh, you give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Mm-hmm. In my <laughs> opinion, I swear to gosh, it came from the horse racing industry where if you relaxed half an inch on the reins, you got run off with a full mile <laughs> because that's all they need mm-hmm. is to, they need that little bit of give and they're gone wherever they're gone. Yeah. So back, so the physicality then, so, and also as I created the, the Kiro core trainer, it was a lot about trying to challenge um, the core. And it, be, and I realized there was so many similarities to horse racing and the core challenge that, or a horse ride, race horse riding, I should say, not traditional Western or English, of what the cure would actually do for me. So I I think what gave me such a great foundation was this core strength that I developed. And and the cure core trainer actually helped me do it on on land, I guess you could say, instead of on the back of a horse. Um, It enabled me a way to really challenge my core, very similar to what I would feel if I had a horse that wanted to um, go to the outside fence. I had to hold it that way. I, I could set it up to where I could feel that same resistance and I could hold it if I wanted to. I could rep it out if I wanted to um, for duration or time, whatever. And so that was the foundational thought process when I first started developing the Kiro. Like, how can I do that? And, um, and that kind of pushed me along to finish making it mm-hmm. and develop. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That, um, when did, um, when did you, when did it like first spark the idea for it? Um, as I was learning more exercise mechanics Mm -hmm. in my job, um, as an MAT specialist, and up to then, I, I'd been working with athletes and, and using my practice, uh, massage therapist, but the MAT specialist. And my sessions with MAT were so much better when I added an isometric component to reinforce what I just treated. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is what everybody's talking about. Because I didn't have a clue how to apply the exercises. There's no, there's no class on that for us related to putting it all together. There's no mm-hmm. class for that. And so when I started to add isometrics as reinforcement exercises based on what I treated, it exponentially improved my sessions with my athletes. Mm-hmm. And then as I started to be able to reverse engineer things and started to understand whatever, I noticed that I always had to go back to the core. Mm-hmm. Uh, for so many things, hamstring problems. I had to, I might treat a little bit of the leg, but I'd always go back to the core or shoulder issues or back problems or groin issues. And I was like, 
And then the, when I gave them the isometrics to take or to give to the coaches to do like active rest or something on their, cause they'd see me once or twice a week, but they trained every single day. So we would incorporate it with their training every single day. And they all, everybody started noticing it was getting better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't do this on my table all the time. This needs to be done in weight rooms needs to be done on the turf. It's not, it's not something I should have to deal with as much as I am. So that's where the cure also manifested as a way to do what I kept having to redo. Even if they had six pack abs or an eight pack and they, they could hold a plank for five minutes. Once they got out of the field, they couldn't control it anymore dynamically. Mm-hmm. So static core strength is great or in a, in a little two by two area, but when you're running and your hips are going maximum range of motion and you've gotten people coming all directions and or they're coming up from underneath of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're changing directions on, yeah. you know, cutting and doing all that stuff. The core takes it a whole different situation, a whole different scenario and a completely different uh, group of forces going through the body that you have to be able to withstand for safety to, to avoid injury and to be fit mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for saying that. Cause I, we kind of covered that on the first podcast we did, but as I said, we got a lot of new listeners and I don't think that stuff can be said enough. Um, and I guess the last, um, the, the thing I also think is really interesting about this story and this conversation and what came up for me was thinking about the 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 fighting and the jockey and um, even seeing the pictures of you and Roberto doing some acro yoga. It's like this oh yeah, that was, yeah that's the, our new thing now. <laughs> yeah, it's um an interaction with another mammal and you know those isometric contractions on the other end of this. You know and like. When you're a fighter, how many steps ahead do you have to think about the physical when some, when you're working in that manner? And how many steps ahead do you have to think about with the horse Um, and the acro yoga? You know, it's all, and you know, we could talk about rock climbing in the same way, but there's no other mammal unless you have somebody spotting you. So there's a whole nother. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Just a really interesting way to think about, um, the, the training aspect and uh, I, I guess the, the, the energy going back and forth. Uh, so cool. Um, I thought, let me tell you my sensitivity to my, when I was riding horses, like a little piece of paper could mean life or death. If it fluttered across and your horse saw it and spooked, like he could turn around and be gone and you could be on the ground, like in a snap or someone pulled up behind the hedge and opened and closed their car door. My sensitivity to my environment was through the roof and my sensitivity to what my horse, every quiver I felt, even if I'm talking to my friends and trying to, you know, laughing, joking, whatever it was. I had such a separate awareness going on of my environment and what was going on beneath me that, um, I don't know if I could ever recreate that. And I never got good enough at say uh, jujitsu or boxing to, but I can imagine where you would, as a, as a jujitsu person, you're, 
you're basically riding somebody on the ground sometimes, you know? So, you know, when they start to twitch or start to, as the higher levels, you feel when they shift their weight and you know what that means. As a rider, I could have told you what every shift I, I watch horses now. And I'm like, oh, that's not looking good. Sure enough, within a few minutes, that horse is upside down, like on some YouTube video. Like I could tell everything. Um, I never got good enough at jujitsu to, to, but that's that interaction. And that's that energy exchange. I think you start to feel that push and pull they're shifting their weight. What happens to your body as they do this and a master, um, black belt in jujitsu or a boxer or a Muay Thai fighter, they set you up for, for mistakes and they, they lure you into things to, to take advantage of, they try to manipulate you to do what they want so that they can finish or finish you mm. and get you to, or are they <laughs> able to react in a split second in a positive way, <laughs> in a good way? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I, it's time to, uh, cut our podcast off (laughs) well thank you for letting me blab on all this time about like the good old days (laughs) I think it's cool I mean it's it's really cool to to you know share and um like I said I think it just adds it adds you know another layer of respect from me to you and I think it's um a really good thing to tell our story especially um since we both see the same problem as, you know, what do you do mentally, physically, emotionally with this transition, you know, and just, I I think one story can make a difference for someone. So thank you. If if I could just one, one quick comment on that, because I wanted to get to this and I totally forgot. So when when you're about to transition from something that you identified so strongly with and it's who you are as a person and all of a sudden you're no longer that whether from injury or retirement or whatever you you can't get hired again so you're forced worst is when you're forced retired i found that i'm always good when i follow my passion or my curiosity i find something that sparks my mind and i learn something I learned something new and that will give me that sense of vitality and that sense of wonder and life is great. And I'm no longer stuck in who I was or what I was doing before. I'm stuck in, wow, this is such a cool thing. Look what I'm learning. Like, like jujitsu, I became obsessed with this, the MMA and um, hockey and and all these different things. Be- and, and there was a physical component that I needed as well as a mental. Mm-hmm. Um, when I learned about MAT, that consumed my brain and it was a physical job. Um, the harness consumed my brain, but I was able to transition into a physical research and development. I know myself, I needed a physical and mental component for me to be at my happiest and to be at my bliss. And trying to, when I don't do either, when I don't satisfy either one, either my curiosity to learn or my physicality, that's when, um, my, my levels start to drop. Either you get depressed, get unhappy, or what's the point or, or what am I going to do with my life? Mm. Um, if I could stress people to find something that you enjoy and you're passionate about, and it'll help you get out of that transition or become your new, all my stuff that I 
became fascinated by became my next job, basically. That became what I became uh, good at or whatever. And I somehow made money at it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got that out because that is gold. Um, That that level. Don't put that at the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the that's the level of um, transmission. It comes is the I think the good word that um, you know we we need to see and. I, um, you know, I had a really rough transition myself, um, but, you know, finding, uh, that mix for me, which was the people, the movement and, um, I guess just like the finding the thing you want to read about, you know, and, um, I, you know, I didn't stop until I did, uh, until I found it. And, um, MAT was the thing that really was that, was that cold water, like, oh yeah, I, that splash of cold water that just said, yes, this is, you can you, do you can something out with your hands and you can, um, teach, you know, athletes how to take care of their bodies before they, you know, end up in a surgeon room. Um, and, and you're still this, in the environment. Yeah. You're also close to that environment again. Now you come at it from a, uh, a wizened perspective as opposed to the player, but you're trying to be who you wish you had when you were there. Mm-hmm. On the t- you were in the training room. Uh, yeah, retweet. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you for hanging out with me this Saturday. Um, thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope things go well down there in Florida over the next couple weeks. <laughs> Let's hope it's all good and we're all out of the woods here. Yeah. Tell everyone um, where to find you. If you have a new blog that need, they need to check out, what's happening. Okay. Um, on my practice, uh, melatherapeutics.com. But uh, the Kiro is found on our website, kiroconcepts.com and uh, at kirocore on Instagram. We will be having a virtual booth at the NSCA virtual convention hall starting October 19th. So I'm excited for that. So if, come check us out on the, the NSCA website, uh, the, um, the expo hall, the mm-hmm. expo hall mm-hmm. be there. And we might be doing some work with a company called Flexline Fitness, which is a pneumatic type of exercise cable system that uh you'd like this gen it has mm-hmm. the push button control mm-hmm. so if you wanted to drop weight within the set you hit the button it's like a kaiser machine but it's mm-hmm. a handheld um pressing so and or the coach has it either you can have it or the coach has it so we might be uh being uh, part of them as an accessory that's so, cool yeah that makes a ton of sense actually and i think you said that i'd like it because i just i love a good muscle burn yeah but you also okay. like to be in control. But you like yeah. to be in control. Where yeah. if you feel like it's too much weight for the client, yeah, you can stand there like, oh, we need to drop that weight a little bit, or we need to increase it within the mm. set. Yeah. Cool. No, yeah. that I mean, that's that's what we need. We need um we need change the stimulus, change the environment, um, give them something new, but you know, keeping it functional to the goal and to what we're learning about them on the table. I mean, 
Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Like, especially if we want to challenge one side and then the next, like that's, that's fun. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I'll send you the link when I, when I get it. Yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> so check us out. And uh, thank you everyone. Thanks for yeah. having me. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for hanging out. I am I am really looking forward to hearing what you guys thought. Do you love these more personal sides of how I see exercise and finding purpose in your life that includes movement, you know? Are, do you guys like that? Do you guys want uh, more of these conversations? I certainly enjoyed having them. And I think, um, you know, Kika's doing some great things. I really absolutely support her uh, training device, the Kiro Core. Um, that's K-I-R-O concepts.com. And the, this product is just so versatile and so functional for uh, rehab professionals to strength and conditioning and and things in between. I uh, hope that um, you check them out and join the conversation on Facebook at or and Instagram at thinkfitbefit underscore podcast so that we can dive deeper. And if you want to get more invested in these concepts, check out the newsletter at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com. That's where you're going to find out how to use these concepts, these things that we're talking about, and different tactics on how to have a deeper connection with your exercise. I just think it's that's one of the best gifts we can give ourselves and... um, provide for our you know our family our livelihood our energy so i i just want to share that enthusiasm with you guys (laughs) uh thanks so much again for being here it is a pleasure hosting this podcast uh upcoming episodes are really exciting and don't forget that we have a really exciting addition to the podcast uh, that's coming later this month in October. Um, Please subscribe to make sure you don't miss a thing. Have a great week.